Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Maybe one of the loveliest stories in the whole of the Bible. A divine encounter with a struggling Samaritan woman. Jews commonly referred to Samaritans as dogs. Half Jew, half Gentile, excluded from the temple. And one little woman struggling with life. And God knows her name. He knows her routines. And he arranges Jesus Christ, the greatest healer the world will ever know, to meet her in the middle of the day at a well in Samaria. I just happened to have been to that well many years ago. A little woman who was made for heaven and made for God and made for life, but she's broken and she's thirsty. If others had done a moral report on this woman, they might have described her differently. They might have described her as a marriage failure, a flake, someone who couldn't keep a relationship together. But when she met God in a human body, that was not his diagnosis. He diagnosed her as thirsty. If you knew who you were talking to, I would give you living water. Every human heart was created to know eternal love, eternal value, and eternal belonging. But all over the world today, whether we fully appreciate it or not, we are all broken, we are thirsty, we are hurting, and all too many are lost. She ran into the Messiah the anointed one, the one whom God had promised to send from the very moment that sin entered the world in the garden. He had a job description. When Jesus was seeking to explain his job description, he referred to this prophecy in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 61. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stopped quoting at that point, but the prophecy goes on. To comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his glory, that he may be glorified. God thinks the best advertisement to the wonder of his own character is a human being fully restored. You see, 
the job description of the Messiah goes beyond the forgiveness of sins. Oh, the wonder of the forgiveness of sins is more profound than you could imagine. If to ever stand in the presence of a holy God and to have had one's sins never taken away, is too ter- it's too terrifying a thought to even contemplate. But he came not simply to restore you, to relieve you of the guilt and the disappointment of a lifetime of mistakes. He came to rebuild you from the inside out and eventually to replace you with a body that could never die. He came to so restore you that you could be referred to as an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Today's a new beginning. Today is the day we just officially declare that Life Keys, Careforce Life Keys is transitioning to Life Keys at Numa. And the focus of Careforce Life Keys has always been the church as a restoring community. Every church I know plays a part in restoration. But there are depths to restoration and there's a breadth to restoration that can easily be overlooked. And so it's possible for people to be wounded and hurt in the battle of life and have their sins forgiven and go on struggling in various areas of their life, never feeling that they somehow find the liberty that we sing about and believe for. And I guess that for us is our story. Helen and I have been doing life together for the last 53 years. We met at high school. But God called us to lead a church in the foothills of the Dandenongs that was known at the time as Mount Evelyn Christian Fellowship. And for the first 10 years, we led that church the best way we knew how. And people were coming to Christ and we were a charismatic church and quite extraordinary things happened. But we didn't really touch our community. Not until God awakened our hearts to the understanding that we were more than simply a place to preach the forgiveness of sins. We were called to be a restoring community. We just didn't really know how to go about that. You see, there's such a desperate need for it. There's such a desperate need for restoration that if the church was to fully awake to its potential and the power that God has put within our hands to touch the broken hearts, the empty hearts, the thirsty hearts, the problem wouldn't be in filling churches, it would be finding places to put people. See, the reason that the ministry of Jesus is so desperately needed is not just because everybody's a sinner. Oh yeah, and that's the truth. For we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that he's such an extraordinary healer. He's such a restorer of the human soul. He restoreth my soul. And the reality about Australia is the fact that we are surrounded by pain. There is no lack of broken people. There is no lack of wounded, empty, thirsty, hurting hearts. You step outside your own house sometime and knock on a few neighbours' doors and if you could ever be given the privilege of hearing their story... By the time you had knocked on 10 doors in your very street, the street where you live, 
you would find everything on this list. Chemical dependency, sexual abuse, sexual addiction, marriage breakdown, divorce, parenting problems, family dysfunction, grief, eating disorders, shame, guilt, self-hatred, codependency, insecurity, depression. People who are empty, who are hurting, and who are thirsty. And yet, so often the church doesn't touch the place in which they are the most deeply hurt. Imagine that God in a human body could have a divine appointment to meet one little broken woman. Just one. By the grace of God, we began to learn something of the behaviors, the beliefs, the protocols of a church that becomes a restoring community. And over the next years, we touched our community by the thousands. And by the grace of God, what we did then spread to many churches around Australia and now to thousands of churches around the world with much of our material translated in, into quite a number of languages. You see, here is the reality. The reality is that these issues, these issues, these behavioral, emotional relational challenges that people feel. You don't have to convince them that they have an issue or that they have a need. And they are vital connecting points for every church if they have found a way to minister into the point of their need. Transformation, restoration, what a brilliant privilege we have been given. Well, how do you go about that, Al? Well, there's more than one way. You see, um, one of the ways in which restoration comes is by a power encounter. We were a charismatic church and we saw some of that. And it's a wonderful thing when it happens. The Apostle Paul, a rabid anti-Christian Jesus hater, traveling the world, seeing how he could persecute people who were lovers of Jesus, until he bumped into Jesus while he was riding his horse to Damascus knocked him off his horse, sent him blind for three days and gave him an encounter with the power of heaven. It was totally changed, it totally changed his life. He was baptized, scales fell off his eyes, he ran out the door and served that same Jesus he'd been persecuting till the day he died. That's a power encounter, I've seen that. Dr. Mike lying on my carpet as a youth pastor at Life Ministry Centre with demons coming out. The next day, baptised, the power of God falling on him, delivering him, filling him with the Holy Spirit, transforming his life. That's a power encounter. And a church like this, it's not, this is not a, a normal thing for every church in this country to even believe that this part of restoration is possible, but that shouldn't be a problem for this church. It has a history in the power of God and in power encounters. One of the dangers is that we think that this is how God does all transformation. But you see, the reality is that most of what God does is not done by a power encounter, although it may begin with a power encounter, like the miracle of coming to faith. That's a power encounter in itself. Casting out demons, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. All of those things are very, very wonderful. But most of what God does is by a process. 
If you made a decision today that you will never eat bread again until Jesus repeats the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves, you may never eat bread for the rest of your life. Because while that was a miracle and Jesus did it on a number of occasions, if you've made a decision that you will not eat bread again until you experience it by a power encounter, you may never eat bread again in your life because most bread doesn't come by a power encounter, it comes by a process. And if you don't understand the process and you don't do the process, you'll just never get any bread. Much of the restoration and transformation that Jesus does in people's lives is not by a power encounter, it's by a process. And one of those wonderful people in the Bible who is a prime example of what a process will do in the life of a human being is the life of Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He met up with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who was knocked off a horse and had his life changed by being turned blind in an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. But that didn't happen, you see, to Onesimus. They couldn't find the horse. And he was a long way away from the Damascus Road. How are we ever going to transform Onesimus if he's got to be transformed by a power encounter? And the answer was simple in the words of Paul. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Onesimus was transformed by a relationship with a man who'd had a power encounter. And day by day, encounter by encounter, prayer by prayer, one act of faith and obedience after another, what Paul got by a power encounter, this man got by a process. And that's how God does most of what he does in our lives. Day by day, line upon line, precept upon precept, one day of faithful obedience, one day of faithful uh, following of Christ after another. You become what you are one day at a time by his power through a process. And all you really need to do uh, is to learn how to do this whole thing. By the way, my computer is telling me that it's going to turn itself off if it's not plugged into a PowerPoint in a fairly rigid um, thing. If we can get a, a thing plugged into that and save its life, because it, 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 it also needs transformation. Listen. Thank you, my brother. I'm glad I told you that, because then it would have been disappointing. <clears throat> well, what is the process? It's, you know, it's buried in the very job description of Jesus himself. Jesus, the greater restorer of the human soul, said, let me tell you my job description. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Restoration is not only his business, because we are the body of Christ, it has become our business. Our business is coaching, teaching, and leading people into the restoring power of God. And it begins in the same way. Firstly, it begins with spiritual work, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why I am so I'm urgent about encouraging and coaching churches to deliberately expand their capacities as restoring communities because when churches don't do it, people have to go looking for help somewhere. 
And they end up in doctors' offices. Thank God for the doctors. They end up in psychologists' and psychiatrists' offices. Thank God for the psychologists and the psychiatrists. They end up under the, in the hands of government institutions and social workers. There is no guarantee that in that environment they will be in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is where all transformation, true transformation, begins with the presence and the power of the Spirit. And that's what a church is. This is a habitation of the Holy Spirit. One of the wonders is that you just have to help people find their way into a place where the Spirit of God is manifesting Himself and people begin to think and feel differently just by being there since it's the greatest restoring power that every human being needs. But that's not enough. It's not enough to just speak in tongues more. It's not enough just to worship longer. It's not enough just to be more profoundly rebuking the devil and casting demons out. All very valuable, but it's not enough. To that, you have to add the second element. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Cognitive work. You are not just a spiritual being. You are a spiritual being with a brain. And God expects you to hear and listen and understand and make decisions, to discern wisdom, to, to, to live by faith. And to, uh, the act of faith is to hear and then to believe and then to follow. But see, many people have never heard anything that would truly help them be followers of Jesus in their sex life. Many people have never had five minutes of discipleship on their sex life, and yet it's one of the most potent drivers of the decisions they're making day by day. They have no idea sometimes what it takes to build a great, godly, heaven-filled marriage relationship. How do you repent if you don't know what to change from? And one of the most important parts of restoration is sufficient insight an understanding to repent. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the word repent doesn't mean lie on the floor and sob your heart out. It's metanoia, the turning of your mind. You used to think that way, now you you think this way. But for that to happen, for repentance to happen, you have to hear enough to know how heaven postures itself and compare it to what you have been, where you've been posturing yourself, you cannot repent and touch the kingdom of heaven until there is some understanding of the truth. And that means you have to create curriculum. You see, that's one of the things that Helen and I are gifted at. If I was to try to describe who are we, we're pastor teachers. We're people who care about pastoring people's hearts. And we know from our teaching background, if you want to transform a person's life, it requires a curriculum. You've got to help them to do a journey. You've got to give them enough understanding to do a journey. So if you give me a class in February of any year, and I know what it is that you're hoping that they'll be by the end of the year, we'll create a curriculum for you. If it's typing, I'll give you a curriculum. If it's legal studies, I'll give you a curriculum. If it's economics... If it's biology, we just create a curriculum. And over time, we'll lead you to understand. And if you're willing to exercise your mind and set your mind in a certain direction by the power of the Spirit by the end of a year, you have skills you never had at the beginning of that year. And we didn't even have to lay hands on you. Receive the Spirit of Biology. 
Receive the power to type. That's not how people learn to type. You've got to do the process. And this is our whole background. I just wanted to be a teacher. God interrupted me at the age of 19 and said, I want you to be a minister. And I discovered that my passion for teaching uh, was not irrelevant. It just had to be redirected. And by the grace of God, we have given our lives to helping people hear things that allow for repentance. And with repentance comes change. And by the power of the Spirit, transformation. Here's the second element. You have to give them enough insight and teaching for change to be possible. The third thing, however, is this. It's not enough to simply give them a high-power educational experience. It has to be done in a certain atmosphere. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has called me to bind up the brokenhearted. It's got to be done in an atmosphere in which emotions and hearts are protected and nurtured and coached along the way. People learn very badly in an atmosphere of accusation and fear and tyranny. But people flourish in an atmosphere where they know they're loved and cared about. And people would lay down their lives. And Jesus did lay down his life. And in that atmosphere, you can learn to create an environment. But it requires teaching. You see, the book of Job was about one particular man who had a tragedy in his life. And a group of very good, well-meaning people who determined they would go to his house and help him through. The Bible says it didn't turn out well. Because they'd never been coached on how you talk to and encourage a person in the midst of their grief. And as a result, they did and said things that were profoundly contradictory to their intentions. They gave him unhelpful help, but they did it with the best of intentions. You've got to get beyond good intentions to a capacity to know what you're doing. That requires training. That's what we're currently doing right now with a cluster of people here at Numa, preparing our first group of small group leaders because the way in which we do our ministry, it's a teaching ministry followed by a small group experience and then over a period of time, over a journey, people encounter the goodness and the grace of God and change becomes their experience. But wait, there's more. It needs to be done in an atmosphere where people are corrected in the right way. You know, it is not a godly environment where there's no correction. But it can't be the correction of abuse. It can't be the correction of humiliation. It can't be the correction of fear. But it requires behavioral work. The willingness to take the appropriate steps and do the appropriate work. One of the prisoners in the Bible that's well known is the Apostle Peter. He was in prison. The Bible says the church were praying for his release. Jesus said, I came to release prisoners. I came to open the prison doors and let them out. But you see, if you're going to get out of a prison, there are steps you need to take. The angel came to Peter and he said, get up. Get dressed, follow me. Now, if Peter said, nah, no, nah, I'm waiting for the Lord to deliver me. I'm waiting to just suddenly, by a power encounter, find myself outside the prison. No, no, hold it, no, no, you, you're not listening. Get up, get dressed, 
follow me. No, I'm waiting to be transported because that's going to happen to Philip. I'd like to be transported. Oh, that's a power encounter. No, I want you to do a process. Get up, get dressed, follow me. And if he was willing to, be, to get up, get dressed and take the steps of following that angel, he wakes up the next morning, he's no longer in prison. But if he will not do the steps, he wakes up, he's still in prison the next day. You could stay in a prison for the rest of your life until someone shows you there is a pathway out of here. Get up, get dressed, follow me. By the grace of God, transformation is possible. Now Jesus has a plan to delegate this ministry to his entire church. And this is how it works. Jesus has a plan for his church to fulfill his ministry of restoration. The Bible says it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. What for? Well, to do all the work. Never take a break. Morning, noon, and night, see people, fix people, correct people, teach people. No, that's not what it says. To prepare God's people for works of service. One of the things that we discovered at Mount Evelyn that it is possible to take ordinary people and equip them to do extraordinary things in Jesus' name. Maybe you are not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or a social worker. Maybe you were never skilled or fully equipped to have created a marriage course yourself, but you'd be good to run one if someone was to give it to you. That's the miracle of Alpha. The miracle of someone creating a tool and showing people how to use it. It's an extraordinary thing. If you were to remove Alpha from all the churches in the world that are using it today, many of them wouldn't win anybody for Jesus. It's the one tool they know how to use. And all they have to do is faithfully use it and to invite people into it. And people get saved by the millions. There's more than 27 million new believers in the kingdom of heaven because an Englishman created a teaching course on how to trust in Jesus. And now people do it all over the world. And as a result, Jesus uses ordinary people to be evangelists who could never have been or wouldn't have been evangelists left to themselves. It's the tool that changes everything. Well... The Bible says, I want the the leaders in the church to coach people and help them to find ways of doing exactly this works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, the wonderful thing is this. You can delegate this ministry to people who are not professionals. You just have to have best practice. And what you do, firstly, is you train ordinary people in the fundamentals of small group practice that keeps people safe and provides an environment in which people can learn safely and honestly. Secondly, you put a tool in their hand. That's what we got good at. We created tools. We created 15 different tools and helped people to know how to use them. Then you simply support those volunteers. See, one of the mistakes the church has made for years is to delegate to untrained people and wonder why they feel out of their depth. To delegate to untrained people and not give them the kind of support and upskilling and tools they require and wonder why they give up and just don't do it anymore. One of the keys 
to the longevity of ministry in any situation is to train people well, give them tools, and then provide your best people as support to them so they never feel like they're out there fighting alone and beyond their capacity. You give them the best support you can, and then all you have to do is stand back and watch Jesus work through his body because Jesus is the greatest restorer the world will ever know. The body of Christ. Believe in the body of Christ. Do you know why people don't come to church? McCrindle says this, it's not about faith, essentially. Some people it is. Some people just don't believe what we believe. And they're angry about what we believe. But that's not where most Australians find themselves. Most Australians don't go to church because they just don't think anything's happening that has anything to do with them. A bit like the woman at the well. She had no idea he's talking about living living water, living water. I don't need living water. I need some, some of the real deal. I just need a pay rise, a new car, different man, different woman, better house, holiday in Fiji. That's what I need. No, Jesus said, no, that's not what you need. Because you see, the emptiness in your soul is not about more money and a big holiday in Fiji. The emptiness in your soul is that you were made for heaven and you were made for God. And you've never known how to touch him. God is searching for worshippers. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus opened a door to a different life. See, the wonderful thing about the struggles of life is that they produce pain. And the thing is that pain assists, insists on being attended to. I, I, so many people we've led to Christ, we'd have to argue with them, you need the Lord, you need the Lord. No, they, they didn't know they needed the Lord. They did know they needed recovery from, recovery from a divorce. They didn't know they needed help with their parenting or that their marriage was, was on the way out. They did know that they woke up every morning hating themselves and they were on medication to deal with the anxiety and stress they feel about being who they are. They knew that. And as a consequence, their pain was crying out to be attended to. And what, suddenly there was, there was someone who was willing to talk to them about that and help them with that issue. Changes everything. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences. But he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We created tools and we're going to create some more. The facilitator training, the small group training, it is our hope and prayer that every single small group leader of every kind at, at NUMA will be on the same page and understand what it takes to create a restorative environment. But then come the tools, the search for life. Why is my life so hard? Why don't I like myself? Why am I so easily sucked into addictive cycles? Why is it that I'm always driven to perform and I feel less than and inadequate and I'm ruled by my fears? That's the search for life and aversion for the youth. The search for intimacy. Somebody help me with my sex life because it's one of the most potent drivers in my life. I'm making dumb decisions. How do I find a life's partner without screwing around? Making marriage better. Will someone help me rebuild this relationship? Man to man and woman to woman. I've grown up in a, in a home and it's marked who I am. And I don't think I'm relating to people well. Uh, I think I'm carrying some of the wounds from my past into my marriage, my business, my friendships, my parenting. Would someone help me untangle who I am and why I do what I do? Man to man, woman to woman. Valiant man and understanding of valiant men. Man, um, the sexual discipleship for men. 98% of all sex crimes are committed by men against women and children. You'd reckon that men could get some help somewhere. 
but all we do is worsen the problem in a pornified environment that objectifies women and creates a place that's unsafe both for women and for children. The church has got to play a leading role in restoring the holiness and the character of men. Divorce recovery. People go through the trauma of divorce. Someone's got to help them rebuild or they'll carry it into the next one. Mastering your money. Living under the load of debt and seeming to be incapable of learning how to manage your lusts and your passions and your credit cards maxed out and your your home and your family life are kind of insecure. Learn to manage your money as a godly man or a godly woman. The door of hope, female survivors of sexual abuse. That's where it all began for us at Mount Evelyn. Healthy lifestyle. Learning to build a healthy mind, a healthy spirit and a healthy body. Kids with courage. Children that are having trouble learning at school, making friends, feeling left out on the outside. Build them now before they're broken teenagers and then broken in a marriage or a family somewhere down the road. Parents with courage. Give parents some understanding of how to, how to parent children with Jesus on the inside. And they're just the 15 that we've created to this point. As we come to Numa, we declare to you, this is our passion. We are here to serve. And over the coming years, um, this will be ground zero for Numa Life Keys in the future. What a wonderful thing. What's the outcome of that? Well, I'll tell you the outcome when a church goes down this pathway. People end up in leadership that you would never have thought could ever be leaders because they discover they've got it, but they never realized how to do it until someone gave gave them training, put them in a small group, and they discovered they were really good at this. Church health. There are people in every church in this nation. They come to Christ and they love him, but they struggle with stuff no one has ever talked about. And suddenly that begins to be addressed and they begin to experience the liberty and the power that they sing about in church every Sunday. They become followers of Jesus in ways they had never have been in the past. They find themselves experiencing increasingly that they really are oaks of righteousness. They're on the outside, what God is making them on the inside. We see an increase in pastoral care as across the church. There's an understanding of how you care for people, how you love them, how you support them. And finally, best of all, people come to Jesus. This is our life. This is Life Keys at Numa. The church is a restoring community. And today, Helen and I fly a single flag and say we are here to serve you, to train, to develop new Life Keys, and to see Numa and every one of its congregations that it plants throughout the world functioning effectively as a restoring community in Jesus' name. And my last thing I want to say to you is maybe God is saying to you, this is where you will find yourself serving in ways you never imagined you could in your own local church. By the grace of God, we discovered that teachers, social workers, people who had trained as nurses, mental health nurses, often just never found a way of bringing that ministry and those people skills into the life of their congregation. And as we trained them as facilitators and helped them become small group leaders, we had an army of restoring heroes. We touched our community. 
and became the largest church of Christ in Australia in the foothills of the Dandenongs and you couldn't find our church without a GPS. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today this is part of your future. This is not everything. It's a fragment. It is a portion of what churches are called to do. And by the grace of God, we're here to help you. And may the Lord um, expand our capacity for him because he deserves the best we have. He is the greatest restorer the world will ever know. Lord Jesus, we pray today that you would take hold of us, that you would stretch out your mighty hand upon us. I pray for everyone who hears these words over this coming, these coming weeks, whom you know have a heart that you want to skill to serve in this, in this ministry of restoration. And I pray today, For those who are sitting here today struggling and saying, he's talking about me, I need help. It's not just other people, it's me. I need help. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. Lord, it's our prayer that over these coming days, you will so pour yourself out in us that this church and all all of its little congregations, all of its congregations, wherever you put them, will be known as a restoring community to the glory of your great name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.